whatever it takes. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for gain, whatever it takes. You know, really, a lot of times, it's kind of like when the pastor says to the couple that's getting married, for better, for worse. But they don't mean that. Sometimes it's worse. For better, for worse, till death do us part. What if it's worse? What if to get closer to him, you have to trade comfort for pain? Are you willing to make that kind of choice? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I say that tonight. Dealing with this matter of temptation, because we all face it. It's common to every one of us in many different forms. Luke chapter 4 is where I want you to be at tonight. Luke chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Now, the same story is also given to us in Matthew chapter 4. But notice in verse 1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it may be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, and all shall be thine. Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him, and underline these last three words, for a season. Now I want you to also turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice beginning in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. I want you to underline those three words. Common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now turn over to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1. Notice beginning in verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Lord, as we open up the Scripture and look at this matter of temptation, I pray first of all, Lord, that you'll give me wisdom to put these things in the right order. And I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit that you would take spiritual truths to the hearts of those who need it, especially who need it tonight or may need it tomorrow. Dear God, that we be sober and vigilant for our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Do a work on our hearts tonight, I pray, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the way, the what? Truth and the life. I want you to understand when it comes down to temptations, the thing that makes temptations the greatest is this, and that is our feelings, how we feel. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, but pastor, you don't understand how I feel. Listen, it's not about feelings. It's about truth. If you are going to be run by your feelings, you are going to be defeated over and over and over again. You must, if you want to have victory in this matter of temptations, you want to have victory, you're going to have to get committed to truth. Now, please understand that. We have feelings all the time. We have feelings when things are going well. We have feelings when things are not going well. Uh, Every one of us have had people do us wrong because that is the nature of man. Man does man wrong. Uh, We all have different value systems, and according to our own value systems, people do us wrong. Uh, As a matter of fact, most everybody could sit on a psychiatrist's couch tonight and spend the next three hours just recounting every time somebody has said something unkind to you, done something that was not nice against you, or even done something specifically to you, or you simply perceived that something was done to hurt your feelings, you're going to have to get beyond the feelings and get settled on truth. Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, you've got to get a handle on this matter. Truth or feelings. What is going to rule in your life? We all have feelings and we get offended really easy. Now you say, but preacher, some of that stuff was really tough and it was really important. I know that. But everybody has been through different levels. You say, but you don't understand what I've had done. I tell you what, all you have to do is read a book like the one by Corey Tenboom on what she went through when she was put in the concentration camps and her sister was murdered and how she met the guard that had a part in the murder of her sister and she had forgiven him. You can only imagine the feelings that must have ran through her entire emotional being. But she decided to get settled on truth. Truth 
our feelings. One or the other. Let me say, as a pastor, as a man of God who does counsel some people, I have to major on truth because that's anybody's only hope. If you want me to just sit there and empathize with you and sympathize with you, I can do that, but it won't do you a bit of good. It'll keep you locked in a pity party that will keep you in misery and defeat for the rest of your life. Somewhere along the line, you must get committed to truth. Now, I have dealt with numbers of people over the years, and I have things that I would like to say to them, and I'd like to commiserate with them, and I'd like to tell them how awful those people are, but none of that helps them. And when you get to the place where it seems like, well, there's, you know, we could go back and talk about the last 10 years, the last 15 years. We can talk about when you were five, when you were 10, when you were 15. And what good does it do you? Well, I mean, you understand me, but it won't help you. The problem is when you put feelings above truth, you don't understand God. Because God puts truth above feelings. Isn't it interesting? We're going to get to the temptation scene in just a moment. But isn't it interesting that when God comes on the scene, after all that Job had been through, don't you think he was hurting? It was one thing to lose everything that he had. That was was big. Wasn't near as big as the other things that happened to him. When he had his 10 children all killed at the same time, That would be absolutely monumental, devastating to lose all your children in one blow. To lose any of them would be tough, but to lose them all. And yet he still blessed the Lord. And then he lost his health and he saw his wife break. His three friends come to him and right away they get a wrong impression as to what's going on. By the way, the three friends say a number of things that were biblically, scripturally correct. Their problem was not that they didn't know truth. The problem was they misapplied that truth to Job when it didn't apply to him. Job spent time justifying himself instead of God. And when God comes on the scene in about chapter 38 of the book of Job, and after dealing with the friends and rebuking them, He then goes and turns to Job, and he does not say, Job, I know you're hurting. I know you've had a rough several days. You've had a rough few months. I know you've got every reason to be broken in spirit of heart. God doesn't say any of that. God says, Job, you think you know so much? Answer these questions for me. And he spends the next three chapters rebuking Job. And when God gets done, he says, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Why? It's about truth. It's about truth over feelings. If you're not willing to put truth above your feelings, I've got absolutely nothing that I can do to help you truth now I try to stand up for truth and everything I was for salvation there's only one way to get to heaven no matter how you feel about it isn't that right in every part of life it is a truth encounter when you come to church 
It ought to be a truth encounter, not a feeling encounter. A truth encounter. So with that in mind, let's deal with this matter of temptations as we see it in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because too often Christians fail in temptation. If I was to ask for a show of hand, hands here of people who have, you have to say, yes, I have failed in more than one temptation in my Christian life. I believe everyone here except the ones that don't have a clue would have to raise their hand. That we have failed in far more, I have failed in far more than one temptation in my life. And what happens is that brings along guilt. It brings along discouragement. As a matter of fact, you can get to the place where you feel like such a miserable Christian that you don't even want to pray. Because you think, what's the use? Why would God hear my prayer and answer my prayer? And you understand, if I'm talking about temptation, yes, immorality would be included in that, but there's an awful lot of temptation to do a whole lot of other things other than commit immorality. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are all kinds of sins. It might be bitterness. There's a lot of temptation. Boy, bitterness deals with feelings. And if you don't get committed to truth, man, the bitterness will eat you alive. It'll ruin your life in so many ways. Too often, man tries to justify his failure or even rework the Bible so that he does not feel guilty for his fall. And the devil is slick. You understand, you have an enemy. That's why the scripture says, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about uh, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your testimony. That's his desire. And he doesn't play by the rules. He does not play nice. Two of his greatest lies are this. That's not a big thing. And then once the sin is committed, oh my, God can never use you again. Keep you defeated. He's a liar. And he is the father of lies. That's the devil. But the Bible does warn us about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. That speaking of the devil, that we are not ignorant concerning his devices. Now, we know something. He's a liar. We're not ignorant concerning his devices. <clears throat> and honestly, I don't think he has any new devices. The old devices have always worked quite well. And man continues to succumb to them over and over again. So I want you to notice some valuable truths concerning temptation. First of all, we look at the place of this particular temptation. In verse 1, it says, "...in Jesus..." being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. Now, a couple of things I notice about the place of this temptation. He was in the center of God's will. The Holy Spirit led him there. Let me say that in the very center of God's will, there will be temptations to disobey God. The Spirit of God led him to the place of temptation. And when you're in the center of God's will, Satan will offer you temptation to get you out of God's will. Example, you go back to the Old Testament in the book of Joshua 
When Israel goes into Jericho to defeat the people of Jericho, Achan goes into a house, sees some gold, some silver, and a Babylonian garment. And with what he saw, he lusted after, and he took, he took it back to his tent. Now, Achan was in the center of God's will being in Jericho. That's where he was supposed to be. They were fighting Jericho. He was in the army. This wasn't the time to be at Ai. This wasn't the time to be over in the city of the Jebusites. This was the time to be at Jericho. And as a good Israelite, that's where he was at. And that's where he faced this particular temptation. He had a responsibility and he was doing it. Do not think that because you are where God wants you or even doing what God wants you to do that you're not going to be tempted. You are going to be tempted. There's not a time that when you're in church, you'll be tempted. Man, I wonder how much gossiping goes on in church. And people didn't intend to gossip when they walked into church. wonder how much bitterness there is in this room. I wonder how much how much covetousness or envy that there may be in this room tonight. And as we look at the congregation, we could take a picture and you can't see it. I can't see it. Do you understand that even in church where you ought to be, there's temptation. The devil sees to it. That's reality. Jesus, of course, was in the center of God's will. But there's something else to understand. Not only is there temptation in the center of God's will, but in the church house there is temptation. But there's also temptation out of God's will. There's temptation in both places. Samson went down to the Philistine country. He had no business in the Philistine country. And there he saw a woman of the Philistines that pleased him well. He fell in love by sight. And I'm sorry, you know, you can say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I love that person. That doesn't make it right. If you don't committed, get committed to truth, you'll end up marrying wrong and mess up your life for a whole long time. It's not about your heart. It's about truth. And if it's not first true, then, buddy, you got nothing to do with them. I say that to help you, not to hurt you. Now, you may see somebody that, man, you just, for you single folks, you see somebody, you say, man, I just really love them. Well, are they godly? Do they know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior? And by the way, if all you can say about that other person is, well, they say they are saved, then you need to not have anything to do with them. There should be a whole lot more than just simply them saying they're saved. There ought to be a life that backs it up. But even then you need to pray, Lord, is this the one for me? You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David was in the palace at a time when kings went forth to battle. The palace was not a bad place. The palace was the place where the king lived. You would expect him to be there. The problem was it wasn't a time when he should be at the palace. He was one, being the king, it was a time when kings went forth to battle. He should have been someplace else. 
And you can find fault with Bathsheba if you want, but the way the houses were built with the battlements on top of the roof, nobody should have been able to see her. After all, her husband was one of David's mighty men and he was off at battle. Nobody should have been able to see her because the palace should have been empty. He just wasn't in the place where he should have been. So he said, well, preacher, I I don't go to the bars and I don't do this. Well, you know, sometimes there are places that aren't sinful to be at, but you're not supposed to be there. So don't you be there. Be where you're supposed to be. We can excuse a lot of things by the same excuse David could give for himself. But it was not the right place. You see, it's common for man to be tempted. It can happen any place, any time. Understand that. Number two, notice the persons of the temptation. There are only two. First, there's Jesus. And let's face it, there's never been anybody that has walked on planet Earth as spiritual as Jesus Christ. The absolute perfect man and the true God, that's Jesus. Now, and, and by the way, this is after a very spiritual time. You remember he had come to John to fulfill all righteousness, to be baptized of John. The Father had spoken from heaven after the baptism and the Holy Spirit had descended upon him. So it was immediately after time of a very public obedience to the Lord. He had had probably 30 years of walking with the Father and his prayer time precious and all of that. He's about to begin his public ministry And to fulfill all righteousness, he comes for the baptism. Then he spends time, according to this, in 40 days of praying and fasting. A very spiritual time. 40 days of praying and fasting. Let me just say, if the devil was not hesitant to try to tempt Jesus Christ, the Son of God... There is not a person here so spiritual that he's not going to try to tempt you. If he wasn't afraid to tempt Jesus, he won't be afraid to tempt you at the very height of your spirituality. You say, I've had such good prayer times. Man, the prayer, my prayer times lately have been the best I've ever had. My time in the Word of God, it's just come so alive to me. All right, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I don't care if you're a pastor, a missionary, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker. There's nobody that is immune from this. And we need to learn that lesson about ourselves. There's a reason why Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. If you ever get to the place where you think, well, I would never do that, you're headed to doing it. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. As he said in verse 12, let him that thinketh he start, take, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. God warns us about that. We need to understand that. So you've got the most spiritual one of all, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The other person in the story is the devil himself. 
the Bible warns us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's slick, he's deceitful. What caused Eve to get to the place where she would actually eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because the devil, according to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through the rest of the chapter, the devil deceived her. Remember the devil started out, half God said, and then he openly denied the word of God. He said, you will not surely die. And then he accused God, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall become as gods, knowing good and evil, that God's trying to keep something from you. By the way, in our independent Baptist churches, there are an awful lot of our people who've already been deceived by the devil, thinking that when God says no, he's trying to keep something good from you. When you get to the place where you think that thou shalt not... God put there just because he doesn't want you to enjoy life, then you've already swallowed one of the devil's biggest lies. You need to get back to truth because that is your only hope. Understand that all Satan can do is put a temptation in your way. He cannot, get this, the devil cannot make you sin. Every child of God here, the devil cannot make you sin. He is not omnipotent. The Bible tells us greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I have the Holy Spirit of God living within me. When I sin, I have openly disobeyed God, the devil didn't make me do it. Remember years ago, you have to be old to remember this. There was a, a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson, and he played a character, Geraldine. And she always said, the devil made me do it. Well, I guess for a lost person, that might be so. But for saved people, we can't ever say that. Amen. When we sin, it's us. I believe. By the way, look at this. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is writing, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this. This, well, matter of fact, let me start a little earlier than verse 15. Uh, Notice beginning in verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So he mentions about his past. He was a blasphemer. He was a murderer. He was injurious. He hurt people. He did all of that. But he received forgiveness. But then notice what he says in verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He does not say of whom I was chief. He says of whom I am chief. Now why on earth would Paul say that? Well you say he was a murderer. No that's what he was. 
But he wasn't that anymore. He wasn't a blasphemer anymore. Why on earth would he say, of whom I am chief? I think we get an answer, for instance, over in Romans chapter 7, when he says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. He finally cries out, oh, wretched man that I am. Here's what it is. Before he got saved, what he did, he did in ignorance and in unbelief. And God forgave him. But his sin now is a disobedience to God. And he can't claim ignorance. It's on purpose. Now when he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The next verse gives us a glorious answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where we get victory. So understand this about us. The devil comes along and boy, he is sly. Put on the whole armor of God. You need it. Be sober, be vigilant. He knows about sin. He knows what works. And the devil has no fear of you. You don't scare him. I don't scare him. That ought to cause you to walk close to God. You understand? None of us scare him. Notice the panorama of the temptation. Being tempted is not the sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, when we think of the word lust, we think of it in a bad way. But the word simply is desires. You have desires toward certain things. They can be toward, you can have desires, lust toward the spirit. That's not bad. That's not good. That's good. You can have desires for godly things. But because we got this flesh on us, we are going to have desires for things that are not good either. But notice that having those lusts, that's part of us. That's why you want things. And unfortunately, covered with the flesh, we want things that aren't right for us as well. Another reason why we have to be committed to truth. So the word lust here is simply desire, not necessarily sinful. The panorama of the temptation includes the whole realm. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, he declares, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. So he warns us about that, that we're not to love the world. And boy, we've got, the world's got so many wonderful toys and so many wonderful things, we just gobble up everything. I think that's one of the problems that we have with technology in the church today. Technology in and of itself is not bad, but we went ahead and accepted it all before we even gave any thought as to the consequences. So we've already taken everything in, and so now to break away from it, it is hard because we've already accepted it. And not that we have to break away from all technology, but there's a whole lot that's gone far astray. It's one of the reasons why I preach about these notebooks and things like that and iPads and, and that kind of stuff and your cell phone. Man, bring your Bible to church. 
Don't use your cell phone for it. Bring your Bible to church. Its battery never runs out. It's always good. You can sit there and read your Bible. That way you're not tempted to go through your email while we're singing songs to Jesus. And other people around you are tempted to look at pictures of your grandchildren while we're trying to worship God and not your grandchildren. You see, we've just we had people bringing all this technology into the church and worship. And boy, don't you know the devil enjoys that when God's people aren't worshiping God? You say, but my grandchild's just, just the prettiest grandchild that's ever been born. I know it. But you better be careful. God says an awful lot about family in Scripture. And he's to come first before any family. Worship time needs to be committed to him. The panorama, the temptation. By the way, it gets into the same areas that the devil used to tempt Jesus. Some of his temptations are not bad in themselves. For instance, notice right away in verse 3, it says, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now, bread's not bad. Bread's not bad. Bread's okay. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If bread was bad, how could he be the bread of life? Bread is not bad. Then what's the problem with this temptation? By the way, Jesus was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days. Jesus being God is powerful enough to create all the bread he could possibly want to eat. What would be wrong if he did that? In in John chapter 6, he takes five loaves and two fishes and he multiplies them to feed over 5,000 men at one time. But here, when he's tempted by the devil to make the stones bread and eat it and satisfy his hunger, we can look at that and say, what would have been so wrong with that? We don't do the devil's bidding anytime. We want to make sure that every desire that we have, even stuff that are normal desires, are fulfilled no matter what. But you remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus is dealing with the woman at the well in Samaria, and the disciples come back with bread from the city of Sychar, and he doesn't eat, not because the bread was bad. He sent them in there to get bread. But he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. For my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Even though he was hungry, even though he was weary, the bread the disciples brought back, he didn't eat because there was something more important to do. So here the devil comes along. Uh, Listen, he could have made bread at any time out of those stones. He did not do it. He did not need the devil's direction. That temptation seemed like a reasonable temptation, but it came from the devil. And that's the problem with a lot of sin. There's a lot of sin that seems reasonable. And I have dealt with enough Christians over the year, and hey, I'm sure I've done it myself where I have been able to come up with a reason for doing something I shouldn't have done. 
I'll guarantee you that there's a number of people, and I'm not going to say everybody, but there's a number of people who miss church on Sunday night and miss church on Wednesday night, and they think they've got a lot of good reasons, when the, even though the Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. You see what I'm saying? Let's, let's get committed to truth here, not feelings. But I'm tired, man. On Wednesdays, I work so hard and I work all day and I'm tired when I come home. Well, that's all right. If you fall asleep, if I can't keep you awake, you sleep on, we won't rob you. You're safe here. You're among friends. You're okay. But I'll tell you what, you'll be telling everybody, even though you were tired, you cared enough about honoring God to be in the house of God. See, we have all kinds of excuses for not doing what we know is right to do. But it doesn't change still what is right to do. Well, someone will leave out the hard times in their lives. After all, you got the one temptation here where, of course, Jesus is going to, everything's going to be put under his feet. But the temptation that comes here in verse 5, and the devil taking him up unto a high mountain showed unto him, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou, wilt, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The devil was offering him a shortcut. He wouldn't have to go to the cross to have everything. It could all be his. The devil had the authority, evidently, from what is said here, because Jesus didn't say you don't have that authority. He could have said that, but he didn't do it. He said God's word says I'm to worship the Lord our God, him only. Am I to serve? That's it. We don't take shortcuts to get what we want. So I'm not going, I'm not sending money up to New York and buying that $1.9 million uh, $1.9 billion lottery ticket because then, listen, we can take care of all of our missionaries. Doesn't that sound sweet? No, sir. God can give us whatever he wants to give us and what he doesn't want to give us, we don't need to have. Amen and amen. And God is taking care of us just fine. Isn't that right? Don't need that. Jesus will rule someday, so why not now? That's one of the things that I try to, when I do premarital counseling, it's one thing is I deal with about money. You don't need everything the first week that it took your parents 30 years to get. You don't have to go into debt, go down to the, go down to the Goodwill store, buy yourself a couch, and buy yourself a table, and you don't have to spend much money, you don't have to go into debt, and you'll be just fine. These young couples, they get into debt, they got to have a new car. And I don't know if you know it or not, but used cars are expensive. What you need as a young married couple is an AB car. You need a car that gets you from point A to point B. That's what you need. You don't, want, you don't need one that goes from zero to 60 in three seconds. You don't need one with the flashiest colors that you can get and with the real big uh, hubcaps. You don't need one like that. You need an A-B car. Now, a lot of us older people, that's how we started. 
We started. We had an AB Volkswagen bug. Got us from point A to point B. Barely. Couldn't pass anybody. I mean nobody. That made a difference how slow they were going. Couldn't get up speed enough to get around them. Wasn't possible. That's the one my wife drove. <laughs> we, of course, the one I drove wasn't a whole lot better either. But see, you've got to put things in order. Don't need everything now. A lot of young people get in trouble because of, that was a little extra, by the way. That'll just help anybody thinking about getting married. Um, by the way, sometimes there's even a quotation from Scripture. Notice this. And verse 9, And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, you look at this particular temptation, and you find here in this temptation, yes, God gave that promise. It's kind of like the promise, by the way, in Mark chapter 16, that if you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, then a serpent will bite you and you won't die. But that doesn't mean take up a serpent in the house of God. It means if you're out doing God's will, God will give you certain protection over certain things. When Paul, in chapter 28 of the book of Acts, when their ship went down or crashed on the shore and they got ashore, you remember he was getting sticks for the fire and a serpent came out and bit him. It won't keep you from being bit, but God will keep you. That's what Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, the verse that he quotes, he quotes it correctly, but he misuses the quote, which is something that all the cults do. That's the way they do it. The panorama of the temptation, every angle in life. You remember how Satan tempted Eve? Hath God said, then a denial, then an accusation against God. And she started thinking about it. Let's go back to that. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Okay? Okay. Let me ask you a question. What did God say about it? You're not to eat of it. The day you do, you die. Why is she even looking at it for food? What is she doing? She's already made her first really big mistake. But wait, she's not done. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. What does that have to do with anything? God said, you're not to eat of it, lest ye die. And then she comes to this conclusion, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. How do you decide that? 
You go into a woods and say, I think that tree would make me wise. Yeah, if the branch falls on your head, it'll make you wise not to stand under it again. Remind me of the atheist farmer, you know, who was laying down underneath an oak tree and he didn't believe in God. He said, my, how foolish God is. He said, uh, he said to think that God would take a little nut and put it up there in one of those trees. Got this big, strong tree to hold a little nut like that. He said, why, God, why didn't God take a big, strong tree and put watermelon in it? About that time, one of those nuts fell and hit him on the head, and he thought, boy, I'm glad that watermelons don't grow on trees. <laughs> but I look at Eve, and I'm thinking, her thought processes are all wrong. Why she's even thinking like this? God said, don't, that should have settled it. But now you have to die because truth wasn't enough for her. Your children have to die because truth wasn't enough for. By the way, when God's truth isn't enough for you, you'll not just affect your own life. You'll affect your children's life. You'll affect your grandchildren's life. So what are the principles then of conquering the temptation? Number one, the word of God. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. Bible says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. If you want to have a good way, you want to have a right way. You've got to pick truth no matter how you feel. By the way, in taking the armor of God after the helmet of salvation, he then says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's your sword. That's how you fight this battle. And that shield of faith is you believe what God says is true because he's God. And so you take that shield of faith. I'm sticking with truth. That's your sword. And that's what you look for. You know the Word of God is right. Use it right. We are like the people of Ephraim all too often. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 12, it says of the children of Ephraim, and being armed and carrying bows, they turn back in the day of battle. We raise up a bunch of young people who can beat all the other churches in a sword drill. Man, they can find Obadiah quicker than any other people from any other church. They can find Zechariah and Zephaniah and they can find Malachi and they can find Micah and they can find Jonah. Boy, they're sharp. They can even quote numbers of verses. They got it. But when it comes time to take a stand for righteousness, being armed and carrying bows, they don't know how to do it. They turn back. Well, I'm afraid people will laugh at me if I take a stand. I would rather they laugh at me than not be right with God. Truth, it gets back to truth. Know it right, use it right. In your thought life, for instance, there are a number of verses that I use when I have problems with this thing right up here. Let me ask a question. Is there anybody here who have in your life thoughts that you know are wrong? 
Anybody, raise your hand. Anybody. That's amazing. That's most everybody. We all have thoughts that we know are wrong. How do you deal with that to keep from thinking those thoughts? I got verses I quote. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 2, though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are not mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You say, preacher, how does that help you? Listen, that's so long, I have to think about it. And if I'm thinking about that, I'm not thinking about what I was thinking about. I've got other verses, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are of a good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, I'm sorry. Well, I'm quoting that. That's all I'm thinking about. But you see, the problem, since my thinker, it's quite often broken. Here's how I fix it. Man, this is better than anything that the guy on TV who has all these different amazing things to stop leaks. This is the best thing in the world. Uh, by the way, the Bible tells us in uh, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, he says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. I'm simply saying you got verses to help you with that thought battle. But you've got to memorize them on purpose and you've got to be willing to say them when that particular temptation comes up. Now, because of my background, when I was a rock and roll disc jockey and I was a country western disc jockey, sometimes, man, I go into a store and, you know, they've got those old songs playing and I find myself, I'm walking to my car and I find myself humming some of those songs. Man, I still know the words. I wish I could forget the words. And I find myself here, I'm walking along, and I find myself starting to sing it, and I realize, what am I doing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Man, I sing all the way through. I'll sing all four verses. By the way, there's more than four verses to Amazing Grace. And if you want to really get your mind taken care of, memorize all of them. And sing it all the way through until you got it settled. But you can get control of your mind, but it's not going to happen by accident. You have to do it on purpose. What about when it comes to guilt? Because surely, I don't know about the devil if he does it with you or not, but he does it with me. He keeps reminding me of all my failures and how I've not been everything that I ought to be. And I have to go back to some verses. I turn over to this one. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, there's nothing he shows me today that I haven't already dealt with the Lord about. But that doesn't keep him from bringing it back up. Notice the scripture says, in, in verse 17, he says, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So I see here that God has forgiven me all those sins. I've confessed things. I've gotten all those things right. And when the devil brings it up again, I can say, devil, God's already forgiven him. God's already forgotten him. And if he's forgotten him, I don't need to worry about it. 
and then rebuke him, the devil, for even bringing it up. Thank God we keep confessing the same things over and over and over again because we know we're not worthy. We know we're sorry individuals. All Man, listen, claim the victory in Christ, not the defeat by the devil or sin. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Did he or didn't he? He did. I should be rejoicing in that, that he did. Hallelujah. We have a great Savior. It's not always just quoting them, by the way, but also obeying them. Like, for instance, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. You see, we can't treat the Word of God like the Catholics treat the confessional. It's not a matter of coming in and saying, I did it, now give me some Hail Marys to say, and, uh, and it'll be okay. No, I've got to confess it and what? Forsake it. If I'm not going to forsake it, I'm not getting forgiven. Forsake it. Don't say yes to it. Don't say, well, I know I'm just probably going to do it again when... No, no, no. You may do it again, but if you plan on doing it again, you will. You will. It's like the person that gives up smoking, but they leave a carton of cigarettes in the cupboard. person that gives up drinking, but he leaves a six-pack in case he backslides in the refrigerator. It's not going to happen. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh it shall have mercy. I'm just simply saying... God has the answer in the Word of God. That's true, but you don't know how it draws me. The same way it draws everybody. What, do you think that you're an individual, that you're the only one that's had all these different temptations? No. So God tells you how you can have victory. What did Jesus use when he was hungry, hadn't eaten in 40 days, and the devil tempts him about making the stones into bread? What did Jesus use? He used Scripture. That's how he defeated the temptation. He used scripture. And that's how you've got to defeat it. You go to the scripture. The way of escape. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee also youthful lust. Notice flee also youthful lust. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says flee fornication. Flee it. Don't be around it. Don't get near it. Get it out. Now, I want you to notice, finally, the persistence of the temptation. And it's good that you understand this. Back in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. He's coming back. Hey, you won today. Great. He's coming back. Bible says, submit yourself therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But he's going to come back. Now, thank God when we get to heaven, we're not going to see him anymore. He'll be gone. And he'll be burning. And that will be wonderful. I'm glad he's going to burn forever. God's got a place for him. And that's great. Then he won't come back anymore. But right now, he's going to come back. Now, he has to flee from us when we submit ourselves unto God and resist the devil. 
but back he's coming. I believe, for instance, with Jesus, I, I believe he came back in Mar- Matthew chapter 16 before the Mount of Transfiguration when he told the disciples that he was going to Jerusalem and he would be slain by the chief priest and the scribe and be raised again the third day. Peter spoke up rebuking Jesus and Jesus rebuked him saying, Get thee behind me, who? Satan. For thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Hmm. Yeah, he'll come back. But you defeat him the same way you defeated him the last time. But the word of God. Commitment to truth. Don't cry on my shoulder about your feelings. Well, you can cry on my shoulder about them, but I don't want to hear about the feelings because all that will do is just keep you in your mess. Get on the rock of truth. The Bible states in Psalm 61 and verse 1, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Just do right. Do right on the authority of God's word. And in the temptations, you can be on the victory side. But don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down. He'll be back around. But we are to be a people of victory, not a people of defeat. Christ has made it so we can be that people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with our hearts tonight. May we get, first of all, committed to truth. No matter what our feelings are like, no matter what we feel like we're going through, may we get committed to truth and then take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and find these victories in the temptations that are there for us. Lord, there are some tonight that need to come and just kneel before you, whatever the temptations may be that has brought them to defeat and discouragement, and just confess it before you, lay it at your feet, and claim the victory that's in Jesus Christ. God, have your way tonight in every life. For we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and for his sake.